0: Amen. This morning we are in the book of Philippians together. Philippians chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there with me. Whoops, wrong sermon. I opened the one from last week. You may preach that one again. Uh, Yeah. All right. Philippians chapter 3, and we are looking today at verses 12, 13, and 14 together. Verses 12, 13, and 14. And so let's look at that text, and uh, I'll read it for us, and you can follow along in your Bible. Now, if you don't have an ESV, your wording is going to be different than mine, but all will be explained in due time, okay? Beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <coughs> now, it, it seems like we've just picked up in the middle of a sentence or of the middle of a thought. And that's true, isn't it? And without having this in context, we would be completely lost. But luckily for us, we are in the middle of the context because we have not skipped anything. This is where we've arrived. We finished in verse 11 last week and now we're at verse 12. And so uh, what is the this there in verse 12? Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What is the this and what is the it that he's referring back to? You may think, if you look back at verse 11, that all he's referring to is simply the resurrection of the dead. But better in context, he's really referring back to all he's been telling us from verse 8, that he might know Christ. And then he begins to tell us how to know Christ, that we might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the extent of his sufferings not only knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, not knowing it, but experiencing that power personally. And not only knowing the extent of his sufferings, but experiencing the extent of those sufferings personally. This is how I come to know Christ. This is who Christ Jesus is. And so when he says, not that I've already obtained this, not that I already have this completely or perfectly, I don't have this full knowledge of Christ yet. It hasn't been made perfect. I haven't come to complete maturity in Christ yet. I have not experienced the fullness of the power of the resurrection at work in me. I haven't experienced that yet. I also have not experienced the extent of his sufferings yet. I have not been made perfect yet. And so we get what he means by that, right? I'm not already perfect. But let's look at it a little bit closer actually what's being said here and you have some difference in your wording there and the reason for that is because of some of the tenses um, that are in the Greek here and what it's referencing back to and it kind of is a little tricky and so some translations are, are giving this a little bit different wording and so that's why your Bible may be different but here's here's the idea not that I have already been perfected It's a statement about the reality of Paul as he's living here on the earth. He's not saying, I'm not already resurrected from the dead in heaven. If that were true, the readers would say, well, obviously, you're writing us a letter. But quite clearly, you're not in heaven. So do you think that he would need to tell them that? Or did the letter float down from heaven because he's in heaven and it arrived? I'm writing to you from heaven. Because I've already been made perfect. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not actually talking about the final resurrection per se right now, here in this moment. He's not saying, but I've not been fully resurrected from the dead yet. And they say, well, obviously. So there's a different point here, isn't there? I have not yet experienced the fullness of the power of the resurrection. I have not yet experienced the fullness of the extent of his sufferings yet. And therefore, I have not come into full maturity in Christ yet. I have not already been perfected by these things, but one day I will, but as it stands today, I have not. And let me tell you something. If you, if if Paul can say, I have not experienced the fullness of his power, and if Paul can say, I have not experienced the extent of his sufferings, let me tell you something. You can't say it either. You have not yet experienced the fullness of the power of the resurrection. I haven't either. I have not experienced the full extent of his sufferings. I haven't, and you haven't. So you might think, well, okay, what do you do with that information? Okay, good to know. Uh, we're not there yet. We've got a long road ahead of you, folks. Uh, just letting you know. And that's it. That's all he says. No, actually, he gives us much more than that. He's not giving us bad news here, understand. He's giving us very good news here. Before we say that, I, I, I want to make a mention here of, of a way that you can misunderstand this, and I want to make sure that we don't misunderstand it, is that Paul is saying, I've not yet achieved perfection in the flesh. Well, quite obviously, and we might think together, well, certainly, no one can achieve perfection in the flesh. Except not everybody believes that, you know. In fact, that concept has, has brought about a whole wave of, of theology that is actually very pervasive in our world today. And it encompasses many of the songs that are on Christian radio today. And what I mean by that is this. There's a man that you may know, his name is John Wesley. You know the name John Wesley. John Wesley lived from 1703 to 1791. A very influential theologian. But John Wesley believed in something called sinless perfectionism. That sounds fancy, but you get what it means just by the name of it, don't you? What is sinless perfectionism? It is something that the Christian can attain here on earth, that you and your flesh can actually become sinless and perfected. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God in you. And so you need to try to become perfect. And what Paul's saying is, I haven't reached it yet. And John Wesley said, well, I have. Okay. And you know this thought, he, he wrote a book, if you want to read it, I'm not actually suggesting that you do. But I read his book called A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. Um, I have a quote. One sentence. Before I say it, understand what I'm saying is false. It's a quote from John Wesley. Christians are saved in this world from all sin, from all unrighteousness, that they are now in such a sense perfect as to not commit sin, and freed from all evil thoughts and evil tempers. And if you are still in the flesh and still sinning, how dare you? You haven't even achieved it yet, you're nothing. What a weight to carry around a weight that unnecessarily has been laid upon many Christians that Christ has relieved and yet other people come and lay that weight back on us. That weight is not on you. To achieve perfection is not you that is Christ. And a burden is relieved. It is not to you to be perfect. It is for you to rely on the perfect one. Rely on him who is perfect, and in doing so, you will be straining forward to a prize. But more to come on that. So building on Wesley's foundation, there was someone named Phoebe Palmer in the 1800s. I promised this at a point. Phoebe Palmer in the 1800s was a member of the United, not United, scratch that, of the Methodist Episcopal Church. That's not really something we know of anymore. A theologian and revivalist convinced that the holiness or sanctification was an act of consecration based on subsequent conversion and general Christianity. What did this lead to? A second awakening or portion of grace, which leads to a second experience of grace by the Holy Spirit, which leads to Pentecostalism, and a second experience of grace, a baptism of the Spirit. And if you don't have that second experience of grace and the baptism of the Spirit that comes after your salvation, then you can never achieve sinless perfection, which is the point. Now, all that sounds a bit sketchy, doesn't it? For anyone who is very familiar with Scripture, that does not sound right at all. So, when we read verses such as this, and Paul is saying, I have not yet been made perfect, he's not saying, but I'm trying to be perfect, and I'm going to reach that goal of perfection myself. Now, if you could understand it that way, right? But that's wrong. What is the right way to understand it then? You would be interested to know if you've been attending Wednesday nights, which I hope all of you do more of, but all those little papers there in the back that I've had sitting there, actually someone moved them over there. I don't know who did that, but thanks for doing that. They're a nice little display there. Um, That is manuscript P46. And why do I have manuscript P46 laying there, at least the Philippians portion? It's because it's the (coughs) earliest extant copy of the book of Philippians. And what you would be interested to know is that there is an additional phrase right here in this verse in P46 that's not in your Bible. If all that's very confusing to you, you need to catch up. It's all on YouTube, okay? From Wednesday nights where we got our Bible. All right? Now, we might ask the question, should it be in our Bible though? And why is it not in our Bible? Well, what does it say? It's very interesting. Notice that he says, "Not that I have not that I have already been made perfect," and it adds right here, P46 adds, "or that I have already been justified." He said, Not that I have already been made perfect, not that I have already been justified, but I'm working towards it. What? Because we know, what about justification? It is a past event that is fixed in time and it is not a process or something for us to attain to once we are a believer. But it is a past event, a fixed reality in the past, right? So why ever would a scribe add this? or take it away. If it is original to Paul's letter, I believe it is not contradictory to Paul's theology. And I kinda want to explain that a little bit and it's very easy to understand. I have a goal here, or a goal? I do have a goal, but I meant a slide. I have a slide here. Also a goal, I have a goal with my slide. There is justification. There is, much like sanctification, although slightly different, much like sanctification, justification has a past, present, and future reality. You know that our sanctification, in Scripture it says, we are sanctified, we are being sanctified, we will be sanctified, correct? A past, present, and future reality of our sanctification, becoming more holy. But do you know that there is also a past, present, and future reality to our justification? But there is never a time in which you are being justified. Unlike, there is a time when you are being sanctified. Let me explain. In the past, past event, when you have faith in Christ, you are declared righteous, justified. At the moment of faith, you are declared justified. And you have that, it is yours forever. And you don't hang on to it. Christ hangs on to it as he's holding on to you. So it, it's never undone. It's never undone. You have justification forever, a past event. And so it's declared in that moment of faith, past, that's in our past. For those who have had faith in Christ, justification is in your past. But there, you know there's a present reality to our justification as well. And that is justification being realized. Do you know that you are justified? and do you live as though you were justified? Justification declared sounds like this. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's reference to a past event, yes? The moment you had faith in Christ, you were justified, never to be undone. But do you know there's a present reality to this, and this comes from, oh, wouldn't you know it, Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, verses 10 and 11. Just look back at it with me just for a second. I want you to see that this is not a new thought for Paul, even in this letter. Paul has already talked about the present reality of justification, but it may be hard to know because another way to translate this word justify is righteousness. To be justified is the result of righteousness or to be justified. Righteousness is a result of justification. You can actually see it both ways. But it's the same Greek word, modified. It's the same Greek word. To be justified and to be righteous completely is, is the same. And so he uses the same word back in Philippians 1.10 and 11 that he does here in chapter 3. It says, So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with what? The fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness. So is there a present reality to your justification? It is displaying the fact by means of righteous behavior that you are in fact righteous. Displaying justified behavior by means of the fact that you have been justified. So it's realizing that you've been justified and acting like it. So there is a present reality to your justification. It's not just, and don't we have a problem with this in the South in particular? Get the kids baptized so that they are justified and then whatever happens from that point, at least they got saved back then. At least they got saved and got baptized. And you could take that to mean a lot of things. And of course we know the error there. We know that. But do you see how it works itself down in such a practical reality? We know the truth of the matter. But this isn't the only place there's a, by the way, the word fruit there is in the singular intending a plural result. Just, just letting you know. Why I'm letting you know that, I, I don't know. It came to my mind and I said it. I, that probably means not a lot to really anybody. Okay, Romans 6, verses 11 through 14. <clears throat> so, Romans 6, 11 through 14, we're talking about the present reality of justification in our lives. We think of justification just as that past event where now we have peace with God. But do we ever consider the present reality of our justification? Romans 6, uh, verse 11, So you must therefore consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let sin therefore let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What do you think that word there is? The same as the word justify. For sin will have no dominion over you. So do you see the present effects the present reality, the present realization of our justif- take justification taking hold in our lives. If you have been justified by faith, you should be holding on ever tighter to that realization. Do you see it? Last one I'll mention. it's still in Romans six, Romans 6:19. 6, I'm speaking in human terms. I mean, I guess I'm glad for that. Paul's speaking in human terms. Because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. Okay, so the more we embrace our justified reality, we become sanctified. Does that make sense? So we must live as those who are justified. And as we live as those who are justified, it produces a result in us. And that result is becoming more holy, which is called sanctification. But that's not all there is. There is also a future reality to our justification. That is when our justification is completed fully. Because as it stands... Do you fully embrace and live the justified life today? Do you? Fully embrace and live the justified life like John Wesley. Is that what you do? No. And will you ever? Not in this life. But you will in the life to come. You will in the life to come embrace that reality fully. Fully when it's completed and you will have full justification, not the declaration. That's already yours. You see, you've already been declared righteous. You don't get that again. It's already done. And you're not involved in the process of living like it. No, the past life is over. Now I'm in heaven and I fully come to completion of my justified state. And so there is a past, a present, and future reality to our justification and we see it right here in our text. I broke it up so we can see all three realities. Number one, we press on. I press on. That's in the present, isn't it? Is I press on in the present? To make it my own. That's in the future, isn't it? Because Jesus has made me his own. Well, no, that's in the past. So do you see a past, a present, and future reality that Paul is referencing here? Because Jesus has made me his own, I am living like it and one day will get it fully. This is good news for you because you have something that is being worked out in you today that you will have fully later, but it's not even up to you. But at the same time, there is a call on your life. The reason being is this. There's again a different wording in some of our translations here, but the idea is this. I have not yet laid hold of these things. Laid hold of is really the word. I've not yet laid hold of these things. But I'm trying to lay hold of them because these are the things for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. That's, that's, that's kind of a literal translation. You see, I'm trying to lay hold of these things because Jesus Christ has laid hold of me in order that I may lay hold of these things. Do you see that he purchased me for a reason and he's told me what that reason is. And so I'm not doing these things that he might purchase me. I'm doing these things because he purchased me and has an intention for me. And so I want to live to that intention, right? Simple example here. I don't know. I'm, I'm making this up on the fly because I don't have an illustration in my t- in my notes here. But uh, we we bought this this oh, calm down. We bought this podium here with an intention in mind, and the intention is that I might have a place or for whoever's preaching has a place to lay things out. It's nice and big, you know, if I want one of those giant Bibles, I can get one of those, you know, and lay it out here. Or I can put, you know, multiple things up here. I used to put my computer up here and I had space for all that. But, you know, it's intention, it's intended purpose. The reason we bought it is is that we might use it here. And it's like taking the podium and putting it outside and putting a flower pot on it. And so it's already been purchased by us, but we put it outside and we're using it for a purpose that we didn't buy it for. And so what we should do then is recognize that and bring it inside and use it for the purpose for which it was purchased. Right? This is us. You have already been purchased. But don't use yourself in a way for which you have not been purchased. You've been purchased for an intended result, for an intended purpose, and that purpose is that you might know Christ. How? How do I know him? Not by simply having knowledge of him, but by experiencing the fullness of his power, the resurrection, and knowing and being acquainted with his sufferings personally. This is the end for which you were purchased. Now live like it, strive to get it I'm preaching this so passionately this morning because I need to remember this my passion quite frankly is more for me I need to know this I need to know this and I know that we all need to know this what have you been doing silly to have something so precious that was purchased by so great a savior to see it being used like this. Do you realize you were purchased for more than that? So you are not doing these things in order that he might see you as attractive and want to purchase you. That's, That's a good looking podium. I think I'm gonna buy that. No, he says, not only did I create the podium, I purchased it myself and now I have a point behind it. I'm gonna use it here. We all have been purchased for the same point, for the same intended goal, and that goal is to know Christ. I hope that's been made clear. Now, he says, I press on, I press on. He, he says it twice, do you see it? He says in verse 12, I, I've not obtained this yet. I'm not already perfect, I'm not being used perfectly. But what, what I do is I, I press on to make it my own. I, I press on. I, I try to be used for the purpose for which Christ purchased me. I try. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. I'm not there yet. But here's what I do. Yeah, I want to get to that part. Okay, great. Great. We've not made it our own. So what do we do about that? How do we press on? What does that look like? What do we consider these things? And so he's about to tell us, but before we do, you need to know a little bit about this word press on. You'll know the word here in Acts 22, 7. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you hear it in there? Press on. It's the same word as persecute. To run after something with zeal. Was Paul running after the church of Christ with zeal? Yes. To bring them down. But he was running after it with zeal. He was following something. He was pursuing something with zeal, with passion. He was persecuting it. We likewise are to follow with passion this idea of grabbing hold of this reality. We pursue it as if we were persecuting it, but it's stated in the positive rather than in the negative, right? We follow hard after it. Wherever it goes, that's where we go. That's where we want to go. So let's look at verse 13. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but here's what I do. (coughs) Here's what I do about it. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. This is what he does. Here's how Paul goes from being used outside to being brought inside to his intended purpose. This is not how Paul goes from being outside of Christ to inside Christ. This is not how he goes from being unpurchased to purchased. This is how he goes from being purchased by God but being not useful to being useful. From being not like Christ to being like Christ. Right? from not embracing your justified life to embracing your justified life, here's what he does. He, first of all, forgets what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. Are there things in your life that you'd like to forget? <laughs> Holy cow. There are so many things I wish I for- could forget. But then on other reflection, do I wish I could forget it? because actually, aren't those things that I wish I could forget the very things who made me who I am? Yes. Those things that I wish so badly I could forget all about are actually the things that the Lord used in my life to make me like him. In other words, he made me weak that he might be strong in me that I might experience the extent of his sufferings because he loves me. So then what does this mean, forget what lies behind? The imagery here is one of a runner. Can you tell that? Striving towards a goal, moving, pushing forward, running. That's what the idea here is. There's a runner and he's running a race and he's striving for the f- toward the finish line looking backwards. How are you going to do that? How do you run towards the goal, towards the finish line, looking behind you? How do you even know where you're going? And actually, isn't it true that when we're not looking forward and we're looking backward, that we stumble and we fall? And isn't that exactly what happens to a runner? You don't even know where you're going. And so I need to forget what has lied behind I need to press forward to what's ahead of me. That's the way to make progress. But again, what are we forgetting about? What has been behind that we need to not consider? Forget all that lies behind. Every sermon I've ever preached that you've heard, forget about it, because that's what Paul said. Everything you know about everything, forget about it and just press on forward. That can't be what it means, right? Obviously. So then, what does it mean? I think at least two things here. We find this in context. Number one, we're forgetting about past failure. Has anyone in this room ever failed in embracing the justified life? Well, quite obviously, all of us. We have all failed at embracing the reality of the justified life and living it. And doesn't, If you turn around and you reflect on the fact that you have not embraced it perfectly, does it not make you trip and stumble and fall if all you're doing is looking at that past reality? I didn't do it then, I didn't do it right, I didn't live up to it, and you hang on to that. You can't do that. You're not looking forward at the prize, you're looking backward where you tripped earlier on. I didn't start the race like I should, I heard the shot, and I, I got a late start, and I, all I can do this whole race is think about, I, mean, I wish I would have started better. How is that helping you? In what way is that helping you move forward? But do we not all hang on to past failures? When you do that, you're looking behind, and you're not fixing your attention on what's ahead. So you need to stop, we need to stop, Looking at our past failures where we've not lived to the mark of knowing Christ fully and living and embracing the justified life and we have to turn our gaze and our attention to what is ahead. Ahead. Where Christ is. Where Jesus is. Where perfection is forever. That's where we look. Okay, but it also means this. And we're going to get it in Paul's life, aren't we? It also means past success. Maybe you didn't expect that one. Because forgetting what lies behind means this road I've traveled, I can't look back and live in my past. Whether I've succeeded or whether I've failed. What does this look like for the Christian? You came to Christ, you had a great time growing in Christ. Man, back then I used to do this and that, I used to read my Bible here, I used to be so involved, I did this, I did that. Great, what are you doing today? Good for you. You've come a long way in the race, but now you've stopped and all you can think about is what you did in the past. You're looking backwards. Why do you not have your gaze fixed on Christ? And moving forward, straining, striving with all the energy that you have and with his energy that he powerfully works within you in Colossians. With everything that he is working in you, strive towards the goal. And you can only do that by looking forward. Tell me, I I wonder, have you lived in the past in this race of the Christian life? Whether it be hanging on to past failures and past sins, or whether it be hanging on to past success that you've had in your spiritual life, you don't live in the past, you live in the present. There is a present reality to your justification, not a past one only. There is a call on everyone here in this room to embrace the justified life today, and you can only do that by looking forward. Looking forward to the prize! looking forward to the upward call of God on your life today. Tell me, where are you looking? I know where I'm looking. I'm looking directly to the side and sometimes I glance to the back and sometimes I glance forward. I should be gazing forward. This imagery is also found in Hebrews chapter 12. You know it, it's Hebrews twelve one and two. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. You see the same idea displayed here? Is that when we're running a race, we're laying off the things that would hold us down, and we're looking where? We're looking forward to where we should be moving in our Christian life. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We must press on toward our call. What is your call? What is your call? To know Jesus Christ. How? In the power of his resurrection, in experiencing this extent of his sufferings that is putting sin to death and that is living in the power of the resurrection today. That is embracing the justified life today and not hanging on to the past and looking behind you, but it's looking forward Looking to Jesus, I'd like to end our time in in this passage today by referencing another passage, and I want us to turn there. Uh, it's going to help for some application here at the end as we consider this. Turn with me, if you would, to First John chapter three. First John chapter three. As we read First John chapter three. I want you to think about all we've been talking about this morning. I want you to think about living the justified life today even though this is a past reality and a future reality, we live in that reality here and now. What does that look like for us? John's talking about it here. Let's look at it. First John 3, starting in verse two. Beloved, we are God's children now, today. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Hang on, did you catch that? Everyone who hopes in Jesus should be actively seeking to purify themselves because he is pure. Everyone who has been justified should be seeking to live the justified life. You should be seeking for what is righteous and not what is unrighteous. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on... Excuse me, no one who keeps on sinning has ever seen him or known him. Do you hear it? You see the great connection between knowing Christ and living the justified life. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Do you hear that? whoever embraces the justified life only does so because he's been justified. Do you realize that's what you just read? Whoever lives a justified life only does so because he has already been declared justified. As he is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. He's been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God came, appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. The reason being, God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He cannot. By this it is evident, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In that comment, he's attaching it back to what he has already said in his own context. Whoever does not practice righteousness is proving that he doesn't have righteousness. So we see what Paul's been saying. You can't earn righteousness. You can't earn the justified standing before God, no. It's something that he gives you and he declares about you, and then by the Spirit of God, you embrace that reality, and that is our union with Christ, being tucked away and hidden in Christ. And when you are tucked away and hidden in Christ, you have been justified, declared righteous. It is not your righteousness, it is his, that he is credited to your account. But now our job is this, by his Spirit that he has in us, we have a goal We have a job to do. He's called us to something. What has he called us to? To be used as he intended. He bought you for a reason. And the reason he bought you is to know him fully. To press on to that goal. To grab hold of the justified life. To know him. And this is what we must do at all costs. Am I pressing on toward the goal? What goal? We're goal setters. Right? I bet you have a goal for this afternoon. It doesn't matter. Your goal might be taking a nap. You've got a goal in mind. Tell me, is there a goal that reaches above and beyond and permeates into every goal that you set? The goal of knowing Christ. Does the goal of knowing Christ dictate all the other goals that you make in your entire life? That's something that we constantly have to remind ourselves of, isn't it? Because I can set goals for myself that have nothing to do with knowing Christ. You know what that's like, don't you? Yeah, I do too. Isn't that why scripture calls us to say stop looking behind you and your failures and who you were? Don't you realize there's a call on you now, today, here, in this moment to just turn your head and look forward? And you might say, but I can't because I just feel like my head is stuck this way. And I, I can't look forward. Left unto ourselves, you're right you can't but by the power of God at work in us we can so it comes down to a matter of trusting in him to do this work in us doesn't it it comes down to a matter of faith when you boil this down we're ultimately asking do you trust in your savior to give you the power to sanctify you and embrace the justified life Or like those people Paul was warning about, don't believe them. They're they're telling you that you can feel better about yourself if you just do certain things. Remember that whole conversation about circumcision? If you just do something, you'll, you'll embrace the justified life more. And that makes me rely on me. But the call is to have faith in the one who justifies. The call is to have faith in the one who sanctifies. We need to be reminded of the work that Christ is doing in us and to submit to that work. Is it possible for us to push away and to deny by our own sin and smolder the work of God in our life? Is it possible to ever sin? That's what I'm asking. You realize that. Because does God, is it God's will that you sin? That's a tricky one. Because you have to think about the different wills of God. And he works in spite of our sin, right? So, but is it God's desire that you sin? No. He wants you to be just like him. We are to pursue at all cost this goal, but we can only do so by submitting to him in faith, recognizing that the work belongs to him and not to us. We are to, by the power of the Spirit, realize I am not my own. Whether I live or I die, I am Christ's. All this stuff from Paul in Philippians is is getting more clear as he explains himself more, isn't it? This is not my life to live. I am only living the life that Christ would have me live because I'm not my own, I've been purchased. Whether I live or I die, it's Christ. I want to know him because I realize why he purchased me. To know him. Let's pray. God, we come and we admit our failures Before you. We do not keep our eyes focused.